try to get into the word of the Lord. If you would turn with me once again to 1 Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter two, and um, we'll begin with verse number one. First Timothy chapter two, and verses one through four. First Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And so we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about the power of prayer. And we're going to continue on with that this morning. The power of prayer. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands. Lift our voices. Let's ask the Lord to help us today. We need the touch of the Holy Ghost. I need God's help today. Let's pray together, everyone. Lord, in Jesus' name, Jesus' name. Let's praise Him one more time, everybody. Let's give God some praise right now, can we? Let's love Him together. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Today, we have, as I said, been talking the last couple of weeks about prayer, the importance of prayer, first of all, and just by way of review for a few moments today, 
we have we started out talking about how prayer ought to be our first obligation. It is our first obligation. It is our first responsibility. It ought to be the first thing on our list of things to do. It needs to take a higher priority than anything else in our life. We've talked about even though holiness is important, holiness without prayer is really nothing more than self-righteousness. That's really all it is. And self-righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. All, all our righteousnesses is the way the Bible says it. Our righteousness. If it's just us doing it, it's just filthy rags. We have to be clothed in God's righteousness. And the only way that can happen is through prayer. Maintaining a relationship with Him. Talked about the fact that outreach is necessary. But prayer is more important. Because if we don't pray, then our outreach efforts are in vain. We are doing nothing more than throwing seed on stony ground. It's not going to produce. We've got to pray. Prayer is not an option. It's a mandate. It's a commandment. We cannot be saved if we don't pray. A praying man does not backslide. And a backslidden man somewhere down the line quit praying. I've said this, hell is not afraid of a big church. Hell is not afraid of a wealthy church. Hell is not afraid of a shouting church. Hell is not afraid even of a holiness church. If it is not a praying church. It's interesting that when Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple... He didn't say, my house shall be called a house of worship. He didn't say, my house shall be called a house of holiness. And I believe in those things, and you know that I do. But the main identifier for the house of God in the mind of God is that it ought to be a house of prayer. Well, hallelujah. Prayer is how we become led of the Spirit. Prayer is how we make our request known to God. Prayer is how the lost are saved. But we've got to learn how to pray effectually. We've talked about the difference between just praying and praying effectually. We discussed all of that and we actually even began dealing with the process of prayer. Steps to successful prayer. 
basing it on Daniel chapter 9 and verse 19. And we'll read that now. Daniel 9, 19 says this. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Now Daniel was a praying man. Well, I can't believe I didn't even get one amen on that. Let me, let me, let me say that again. Daniel was a praying man. Daniel had such a prayer life that even the threat of death did not interfere with his consistent lifestyle filled with prayer. Nothing could dissuade Daniel or keep him from praying. Now that's the kind of man I want teaching me how to pray. A lot of people have written a lot of books about prayer. But writing about prayer and being successful in prayer, not the same thing. Now, some who write about it may be successful. I'm not saying they're not. But one thing I do know is Daniel was. And so I know that I can look to the example Daniel gave and learn something about proper prayer. Daniel's prayers were effectual. Well, praise God. His prayers were effectual. And that's what I want in my prayer life. I want my prayers to be effectual. I want them to get something done. I want God to hear me when I pray. I want God to answer when I pray. And so we look to Daniel as our guide to learn about prayer. And in this verse, in fact, in the first half of this verse, Daniel actually does four things that I believe are necessary for effectual praying. And we started talking about those things Um, And we're going to continue talking about them today. But we started with this first one where Daniel says, Oh Lord, hear. Everyone say, Oh Lord, hear. Now this is the process of getting God's attention. We talked about that. I'm still just reviewing right now. This is the process of getting God's attention. And I've told you the only way you're going to get God's attention is if you give Him your attention. Our minds can't be wandering, we can't be thinking about other things, we can't be paying bills or contacting people or sending text messages. If we are going to get the attention of God, He has to have our full attention. We've got to just shut everything out. Jesus said, go into your closet. And, and again, that doesn't mean literally. What it means is 
close everything off around you so that there are no distractions. Give God 100% of your attention. And so when he says, oh Lord, here, he's trying to get God's attention. David did this many times in his prayers. Many, many times in the book of Psalms you see where he says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. Give ear to my prayer, O God, consider my meditation. Those are direct quotes from the Psalms. David would begin this time of prayer by asking God, would you grant me your attention for a little while? Would you listen to what I have to say? Be attentive to my request. I don't want to just spend time in prayer. I want to communicate with God. You know, there have been times in my life, I'm just being honest and transparent, there have been times in my life I've been so frustrated about something. And I actually sat down and wrote out a letter. Where, I mean, I just gave them what for. And when I got through, I crumpled it up and threw it away. And never sent it. And I'm glad I didn't felt a little better getting it off my chest. But I'm glad I didn't send it. But you know, the person that that was intended for never heard what I had to say. And unfortunately, that's the way some of our prayers are. We're saying a lot of things. But God's not really getting the message. Because we haven't taken the time to get his attention. Those of you that are parents know what it is to be in a crowded room and, and uh, you know, your kid's trying to get your attention and you don't even realize it. Or you're, you're talking to somebody, you're deep in conversation and suddenly it dawns on you that somebody's standing there saying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. <laughs> And then it, it, it hits you. You know, I've been hearing this for a while. It just hasn't quite gotten my attention yet. Right? That's what this is all about. It's crying out to God until you know you have His attention. And then the next thing that Daniel does is he says, Oh Lord, forgive. As soon as I know God's listening, the first thing I'm going to do is make sure there's nothing in my life that would cause God to be disappointed or angry with me. Let me tell you something. I don't care what the church world is teaching. God doesn't just pretend there's no sin in your life. God does not overlook your trespasses. 
I know that's what the church world says. You can just live like you want to, and oh, his blood just covers it, and it, it's like there's just this constant fountain flowing, and doesn't matter every mistake you make, it just automatically covers it up. It doesn't work that way. The Bible's very clear, even in the New Testament, that if we will confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. So if we don't confess them, what happens? He doesn't forgive. So no, you can't just go on acting like nothing ever happened and believe that God is just going to somehow ignore it all. He doesn't. And let me tell you, if there's anything we know about God, it is that sin separates us from Him. He, he showed us that in the very beginning. That's the first lesson we ever learned about Him. At least about having a relationship with Him. We learned some other things. We learned how powerful He was. We learned how much He cared for man when He looked down and said to, about Adam, it's not good that he should be alone. So we did learn some things about him, but as far as having a relationship with him, the very first lesson we learn about relationship is God doesn't accept it if there's sin. Adam and Eve were put out of the garden because of sin. They lost their covering glory because of sin. They were judged because of sin. When Cain tried to offer his own kind of offering to God, God rejected it. And God told him, sin lieth at the door. What was his sin? His sin was trying to offer God what he wanted to offer and not offering what God wanted him to offer. That was his sin. Trying to make God accept him. Trying to make his way God's way. Rather than vice versa. And God rejected Cain. And then Cain went deeper into sin. And God cursed so we're learning in the first few chapters of the Bible that you cannot sin and get by. So if we're going to have an effectual prayer life, I'm telling you as soon as we've got God's attention, the first thing we got to do is make sure the lines are clear. God, if there's anything here, please take it away. If there is anything in my heart, God, please wash it. Please cleanse it. I don't want anything to be there. Listen, church, I've been living for God for more than 50 years, but I am not so arrogant as to think that I never make a mistake. And I'm telling you, when I open my prayers... One of the first things God's going to hear me do is spend time asking Him to wash me and cleanse me. Hallelujah. 
So, oh Lord, forgive. But then we spent time last week talking about how sometimes it's not enough to just ask God to forgive you. If there is something between you and a brother or sister, the scripture is clear, you've got to go to them. In fact, you have to go to them before you go to God. And this is not just if you've done them wrong, but if you know they have something against you, you have an obligation. So my, my point, one of the points that I tried to make last week is it doesn't matter who's at fault. Well, they did this. Well, they said this. Well, they caused this. That doesn't matter. God puts the obligation on you to make it right. Oh, that's, that's pretty strong. But that's what we need to realize. Because it's easy for us to walk around feeling justified that they did me wrong and therefore I don't have to deal with them. I don't have to talk to them. I don't have to. They're the ones that are wrong. But Jesus forever settled that issue. It doesn't matter who's wrong. If you don't make it right, you're wrong. Well, hallelujah. And then we, we talked about learning the difference between guilt and conviction and how the devil puts guilt on you. He puts condemnation on you. But it's not conviction. And conviction from God is different from condemnation. Conviction, there will always be a reason behind it. And it will never be about something over which you have truly repented. Those two things are your clues as to whether this is condemnation or conviction. If it's about something you've already repented of, that's not God. Or if you just feel this, well, I, I know there's something wrong. I know there's something wrong, but I can't find out what it is. And God never shows you what it is. That's not God. Now, you do have to be open to hear the voice of God. I will give that qualifier. And sometimes the voice of God comes through the voice of the preacher. Sometimes it comes through the scriptures. Sometimes it comes in a still small voice in your own conscience. But God will find a way. If you're sincerely asking what's wrong, God will find a way to tell you. And if you've asked and asked and asked and asked and God hasn't told you, then that's condemnation and that's from the devil. You need to reject that. And then we, we closed out last week talking about the power that comes through prayer that we haven't really yet comprehended. We talked about how that Moses was able to stop God from bringing judgment on the people 
of Israel. Though he was the meekest man, God said to Moses, let me alone. Leave me alone, Moses. I want to destroy them, but I can't because of you. Now, why God allows this, only he knows. But God has set things up in such a way that when we establish a relationship with God, our prayers, our prayers can move God. For good or evil. Our prayers can stop him from bringing judgment. They did in the case of Moses. So we need to learn the power of prayer. So having said that, let's go back now and let's look at the third thing. We're ready to move on to the third part of this. We've covered two of these four. Oh Lord, hear. The next is, oh Lord, forgive. I want to say, oh Lord, forgive. So these two things are the first two steps. If your prayer is going to be successful, you've got to get God's attention. And you've got to make sure everything is clear in your heart. There's nothing there. You've, you don't have ought against anybody. You've made things right with your brother or your sister. You've made things right with God. Then the third thing, he says, O oh Lord, hearken. O oh Lord, hearken. Now, when he uses this term, what he's doing is he's saying, God, I am about to present to you a list of petitions. And to hearken is more than just hearing the words. But to hearken is to make note of what's being said. To have full comprehension and acceptance of these words. What Daniel is doing at this point is, is he's laying out for us, this is the process of presenting our petitions. So this is what most of us think about when it comes to prayer. We really think of prayer as our time to give God our wish list. God, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this. And that's what we think of as prayer. Well, it's a part of prayer, but it needs to find its proper place. Let's start with getting God's attention. Then let's move into getting God's forgiveness. And then we're ready to start asking God for those things that we need. Hallelujah. Now let me tell you something, church. Even this, we need to be careful. Because, you know, I said in, in one of the previous lessons that apostolics are just as guilty as anybody when it comes to vain repetition. We have our certain phrases that we throw out all the time. 
And we don't even stop to think about what they mean. And sometimes they may not even mean anything. Really. We're just saying, we've heard it said, so we say it. I remember, I remember years ago, one of my daughters was, was um, very young. I, I'm, I'm guessing seven or eight. And she was in the prayer room during pre-service prayer. And I heard her praying, God, fill this place to capacity. And I thought, you know, she's, she's saying capacity. She, she doesn't even know what the word means, but bless her heart, she'd heard Daddy say it so many times. She knew it had to be important. Sometimes that's the way it is with our prayers. We've just heard it said. We don't even know what it means. I, I, I mentioned to you, I had somebody call me the other day and say, have you ever prayed a prayer and then as soon as you said it, you thought, what does that even mean? And um, what I didn't tell you is what it was he was talking about. But he said, you know, I was praying. And he said, I started praying, God, take this church to a new dimension. And he said, suddenly it struck me. And I thought, what does that even mean? What do we mean by a new dimension? You ever tried to explain that? He's asking me to explain it. But what does that mean? We want a new dimension. What does that mean? Well, you know, you want to go to a new level. Okay, well, what does that mean? Really, what are we asking God for? And I said, you know, really, when I use that term, what I am asking God for is, God, I want to see something greater from you than I've ever seen. I want to experience something more powerful than I've ever experienced. But the fact is, I've prayed that prayer and prayed that prayer, and I don't know how many times I've said that word without ever really stopping to think, what does that word mean? And we do this a lot. We just say things that really have no true meaning behind them. So here's what I want to tell you, church. There is a point in the process of prayer where you bring your petitions to God. But let me tell you, make those petitions specific. Be specific in what you need from God. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples and us how to pray. And here's what he says, Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Now that's specific. He's saying, here's what I want you to do, and here's when I want you to do it. 
and here's who I want you to do it for. Right? In that one sentence, there is so much specificity. Give us this day our daily bread. Do what, for whom, when. Now we got to keep that in mind. If we're going to be effectual in our prayer, then our prayers have got to be that specific. Oh God, move. Oh God, move. God, move. Okay. How are you wanting him to move? Who are you wanting him to move on? In what way do you want him to move on them? Do you see what I'm talking about? We, we just say these things. Oh God, stir. What, what do you mean by that? Let, let me tell you, church. Generic prayers don't require any faith. You can pray God move and God stir all night long and you haven't had to use one ounce of faith. Right? It doesn't take any faith to say that. Even saying God sends souls, sends souls, saves souls, God saves souls, okay? Whose souls do you want him to save? When do you want him to save? Years ago, I, um, I preached a message. It was my first pastorate. And I preached from Hebrews chapter 11. It was a favorite passage of my pastor's. And I'd heard him use it many, many times. And he just, he put it deep within me. And I was preaching from Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith. Now faith. Is the substance of things hoped for. And I started talking about having now faith. And believing God to do something right now. We had a lady in the church, uh, the next morning was, at, at, at that time, at that church, we had ladies' prayer meeting every Thursday morning. Wednesday night was our midweek service. Thursday mornings was lady, ladies' prayer. And so the ladies would get together on Thursday mornings and they would pray. Well, this, this particular lady, her husband was a, was a convert. He had been raised around the church, had never been in the church, but he'd been raised around it. His mama was, had lived for God, his dad didn't. But he had been involved in a number of crimes and had been told by the local sheriff that if we catch you one more time, we will book you as habitual. You'll be booked as a habitual criminal. And at that time, I don't know the laws today, but at that time in the state of Texas, if you're booked as a habitual criminal, minimum sentence, 25 years. 
and could go to life. So they told him, if we, if we catch you one more time, we're going to book you as habitual. You're looking at 25 years to life, whatever you do. And he knew that. Now his story to me was somebody set him up. He went into this little store and was trying to get into the safe and he barely got the thing moved and the police were all over him. Somebody set him up. Somebody framed him. Of course, the problem was he shouldn't have been moving the safe. Framed or not, he shouldn't have been there. So they arrested him. They, they took him in. They booked him. They let him out on bail. He took off. He said, I'm not going to prison for 25 years. I'm just not going to do it. So he left. Didn't tell his wife where he was. Didn't tell his son where he was. But he would call me. Because he knew that, again, under the laws at that time in the state of Texas, I had what was called the right of clergy, which meant they could confide in me, and I could not be made to testify if they came and asked me if I knew where he was, I did not have to tell them. I could keep that in confidence. And he knew that. So what he would do is he would call me. Now remember, this was in Texas. But he would call me and he'd say, hey, I'm in Ohio right now. Is my wife okay? Is my son okay? Yeah, they're doing fine. Okay, all right, I'll talk to you again in a few days. And he'd call me. I'm in Kentucky. I mean, he didn't stay anywhere very long. He was just on the run constantly. Well, she, that Wednesday night, I talked about now faith. Thursday morning, she went to ladies' prayer. She got down and started praying, and this was her prayer. God, bring my husband home today and fill him with the Holy Ghost. Now, she had no idea where he was. He had told me not to tell her because he felt like she would, under pressure, end up telling the police. So he would not let me tell even his wife. So she had no idea where he was. For all she knew, he was in the next town over. She didn't know he was calling me from all these states so many miles away. But she just got down and prayed that Thursday morning, God, bring him home today. And fill him with the Holy Ghost. She went home from prayer meeting. Sat down at her table. Was there a few moments and looked out the window. And coming up through the woods beside her house was a lone figure. And as he got closer she realized it was her husband. He came in and fell to his knees. She called me. She said, my husband is home and he's seeking the Holy Ghost right now. Church, I'm telling you, she'd prayed and prayed and prayed for her husband. But one day she got specific. God, bring him home today and fill him with the Holy Ghost. Do this for him at this time and God heard that specific prayer and God responded it takes much more faith to pray a prayer like that than it does to just say God save him Amen. Amen. That's good. 
Praise God. Matthew 21, 21. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith, If you have faith, And doubt not, And doubt not, Ye shall not only do this, which is done to the fig tree, but also, if ye shall say unto this if mountain, If you say to this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou removed and be thou cast, be cast into, into the, the sea, sea it, it shall, shall be, done. be done. Now Jesus is telling us, if you'll pray some specific prayers and have the faith to go along with those specific prayers, it's going to happen just like you ask. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Church, I'm trying to tell you, we pray too many generic prayers that require no faith at all. But God's looking for somebody that's got the faith to ask for something specific. Yes. Do what? For whom? When? Hallelujah. Amen. Good preaching. Well, praise God. You know, people laugh when I tell this story, but I can't hardly read this verse without thinking about this story. When my middle daughter, my wife was expecting my middle daughter, um, we were in a situation. I was, I was working for Elder Wayne McLean in Houston, but I'd already been elected pastor uh, at a church in northeast Texas. And it was a, a number of hours drive up there. And we needed to get there. But my wife was, was great with child. And um, her doctor was there in Houston. And we knew we needed to have that baby before we moved. We just needed to get that out of the way. And it just seemed like there was no movement. Some of you ladies that have carried children, you know what this is all about. And it just, there was nothing. Things just weren't progressing. And so my brother-in-law comes over one day with this bright idea. He said, if you'll take some castor oil, you'll have that baby. Now, you young folks have no idea what castor oil is. Thank God you don't. It's nasty stuff, and it's got quite the effect on you. Um, yeah, so, so we were desperate. We wanted this baby. We needed this baby to come. So she did. And lo and behold, you talk about contractions. She was having some major contractions. She called her doctor, and the doctor said, well, I tell you what, when they get to this point apart, you know, then, then come in, because we didn't have any insurance. They were trying to keep the cost down on us. They didn't want her just going in, just wait until they're this many minutes apart. He said, why don't you rest for a little while and then call me at, at the rate you're having them right now. Probably it'll be sometime tonight. So she called her mom. Uh, her mom lived many hours away and wanted to be there for the birth of this grandchild. And so uh, her mom didn't feel comfortable driving to Houston, so 
and again, I'm dating myself with all this. Um, she got on a Greyhound bus. Now, this is long before the days of cell phones. So she boarded this bus to take her from up around Texarkana, Texas, down to Houston. I don't know how many hours it is by Greyhound, but you know, those buses would stop in every nook and cranny along the way. So, what would normally take you six hours would be probably twice that long at least. So she's on board the bus. She's loaded up. She's headed to Houston for the birth of this baby. And so my wife and I decide, you know, we'll rest. And when we, we lay down for a little nap, and when she woke up, no contractions. None. Zero zilch nada. And now she's worried. We're both worried. She's afraid, well, did, something, did I hurt the baby in some way? Because now there's nothing going on. Well, we didn't want to call the doctor and tell the doctor what we had done. So back in those days, they had this deal called Ask a Nurse. You could dial a toll-free number, and they'd have a nurse on the other end of the line, and you could talk to the nurse about it. So she did, and the nurse said, well, here's what happens. Castor oil sends your stomach into contractions. And if the baby's ready, then, then it will cause the womb to start contracting. And it'll go ahead and bring about. But if, if the baby's not ready, then once the stomach is finished contracting, it's just over. You haven't hurt the baby. You just, it's just not time. Well, what are we going to do? Her mom's on the bus. We can't stop that. We have no idea when this baby's going to be born. Now, here we are. We've created a mess here that we didn't plan on, but it's there. And the other part of it was, I need to get to this church that they've elected me pastor. So when... All else fails, I went to the church to pray. And I started praying, and I meant business. And I said, God, I need to know what to do. We need this baby to come. And what the Lord told me to do, people always laugh when I tell this, but it's an absolute true story. God gave me specific direction in that prayer meeting. And I walked back to our little apartment from the church. And I walked in and I called my wife in there and I said, Honey, here's what God told me to do. God told me to lay hands on you and speak to the mountain. Now She's great with child, you know. So there was a mountain there. But that's what God told me. And she said, okay. So I laid hands on her, and I spoke to the mountain. And nothing happened. And we didn't know what to do. But I knew that God had spoken. That evening we went to bed, 7 o'clock, the next morning on the dot, she woke me up and she said, my water just broke. 
We went to the hospital, and the baby was born that day. Grandma made it in time. Everything worked out. God honored the specific prayer. He even let us get a good night's sleep before it happened. I'm telling you, church, God loves specific prayers. He loves it when we just lay it out here and say, God, this is what I need and this is when I need it. Not just God move, God stir. Is there somebody you want to see saved? Why don't you think about saying, God, this is when I want them saved. Now, now listen to me. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I do want to tell you this. When it comes to people, God will not force anybody against their will. Now, He just won't. But He knows how to break their will down. Just like He did that convict who had fought against the church all his life. But I'm telling you, when God got ready, He brought him to a point that the man was ready to surrender his life to God. We need to pray. We need to pray specific prayers. Look, if you're needing healing, why don't you say, God, I want healing today. Well, what if it's not God's will? If it's not God's will, He won't heal you today. But it doesn't hurt to ask. And I'm going to tell you, you've got a better chance of getting God to respond if you'll pray with that kind of faith than you will just saying, well, God, I need a healing. God, I need a healing. He knows you need one. But why don't you let him know, I want it now. Praise God. Generic prayers just don't require faith at all. But specific prayers. I'm telling you, that's what moves the heart of God. Because it takes faith to pray that kind of prayer. It takes faith to just name it. And say, God, this is what we want done. And this is when we want you to do it. That takes faith. And that's what God's looking for. I mean, think about some of the greatest miracles in the scripture. And think about how they came about. Let's go to Joshua chapter 10 verses 12 and 13. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jeshur? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. This was a specific prayer. Sun, stand still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Agilon. Don't move. He's praying a prayer that stopped the universe. 
Now look, this whole process uh, of, of, of revolving around the sun and all that's going on is, is what provides us with gravity. There is so much involved in this miracle, it's unbelievable. It's almost unfathomable. But God did it. And it wasn't because Joshua said, Now God, we really need to win this war and it sure would be nice if you'd help us here. Joshua prayed a specific prayer and God responded. 2 Kings 20, verses 8 through 11. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said, This sign shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he hath spoken. Shall the shadow go forth ten degrees or go back ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backward ten degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord and brought the shadow ten degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. Now, again, you talk about mind-boggling the ramifications of this kind of miracle. Because now not only is the universe stopped, it's going in reverse. But church, think about this. Isaiah prayed a prayer that specifically asked God to do that. And you think that asking God to heal your problem is a big deal? You think asking God to provide your need is a big deal? Do you really think this is some large problem for God when He was willing to put the whole universe in reverse? Because one man prayed? What would he do for you? Isaiah didn't have the Holy Ghost. Isaiah wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. But Isaiah prayed and God started spinning things backwards. And I'm telling you, saints of God, that if we can start being specific in what we want to see God do, if we'll get the kind of faith that we just start laying it out and saying, God, here's what we need done, here's who we need it done for, and here's when we want it done, I'm telling you, God loves that kind of faith. I've talked about this many times, but, you know, I sought the Holy Ghost for months. I prayed and prayed and prayed for months. Service in and service out, asking God to give me the Holy Ghost, and I didn't get it. But one Sunday morning, I left the church and told others, tonight I'm going to receive the Holy Ghost. Tonight. It's going to happen tonight. And that night, God did it. I got specific with it. And God, God loves specific prayers. 
There's something about the faith that's required for specificity that moves the heart of God. And when his heart is moved, his hands will move. We've got to get out of this just repeating things over and over and over. And, And honestly, a lot of times, what we're calling prayer is really nothing more than praise. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I worship you, Lord. But those things are good. You need to say those things. But if that's all you're saying, you're not praying. You're praising. Prayer is the process of making your petitions known. Well, hallelujah. You know, just just as one little tidbit here just to further back up what I said a while ago because I do want you praying specific prayers for the salvation of people but but with with Saul of Tarsus remember God didn't force Saul to submit but he sure did knock him to the ground and blind him and got him to a place that he said uh Lord what what would you have me to do I mean, his whole attitude changed. God brought him to a place he was ready and willing. And so let me just give you a pattern for praying for others. If you're, if you're wanting to see someone saved, then what you should pray is God bring them to a place of surrender. Now that God will do. He's not going to force them to be saved. But God bring them to a place of surrender. It's going to be up to them then whether they surrender or not. And can I tell you that sometimes he may have to knock them down. Sometimes he may have to blind. Sometimes he may have to put them in the pig pen. And I know some people that pray that. God, put them in the pig pen so they'll wake up. I I think that it's better for you to pray, God, bring them to a place of surrender. Because it may not take the pig pen for them to surrender. But then again, it might. But only God knows that. The Apostle Paul said that the goodness and severity of God leads us to repentance. So for some people it requires severity. But others, the goodness of God can bring them to repentance. So I hope this makes sense to you. I want you praying specifically for your loved ones to be saved. I want you praying specifically for your co-workers to be saved, for your neighbors to be saved. But the way to pray for them is God, bring them to a place of surrender. And if necessary, add this, 
and to the knowledge of the truth. If you're praying for co-workers and neighbors, they may not know the truth. They may not know what to do when they reach that place. And so you've got to pray for that as well. If it's a backslidden loved one or backslidden child, somebody that knows what to do, then bring them to a place of surrender is all that you've got to say. Because they know what they need to do. Well, praise God. All right. How much time do I have? I've got 20 minutes. Let's see if I can at least get through the fourth part here. And, and this will be a record. We've gotten two of them done in one Sunday. I'm, I'm getting shorter-winded in my old age. Um, so the next thing that he said, we go back to Daniel 9 and verse 19. Let's read it again. Oh, Lord, hear. All right, let's say that again. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm asking everybody to repeat. Let's say, oh, Lord, hear. Now let's say, oh, Lord, forgive. Then what does he say? Oh, Lord, hearken. All right, now wait. And then he says, oh, Lord, hearken. Everyone say, oh, Lord, hearken. All right. So, so we've talked about what all of those things are. Getting God's attention, getting God's forgiveness, making our petitions known. Then the next thing that he says is, and what? And do. Read on. Defer not. Defer not. So here's, I'm putting these together. Remember in, in the original there's no semicolons and colons and commas and periods. And so the translators decide where all that goes based on what they feel like is being said in the context. But there's no problem here with taking this, and even if you take the do out, the defer not by itself explains the next part of this. This is the process of expecting God's response. Defer not. You know what it means to defer something? If you ever go in to, to buy something, they say, well, we'll defer payments till the first of the year. Right? When we talk about deferring something, we're talking about postponing it. Putting it off until another day. And so what Daniel is saying is, God, do this. Don't defer. Don't put it off. Don't delay. See, the whole thing of this is, Daniel is living in Babylon at the end of the 70-year period. The prophet Jeremiah had said at the end of 70 years, the children of Israel were going to be allowed to go back to the land of promise. And the 70 years are now on them. And Daniel's saying, God, it's time. Don't put it off any longer. Our 70 years are fulfilled. Now's the time. Do it now. Which is where we get into what I talked about a few moments ago in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Yeah, so we could just call this now faith. Not tomorrow faith. Not next year faith. But right now. Right now. 
You remember when we looked at this a while ago? Let's look at Matthew 6, 11 again. Give us this day. Wait, wait, wait. Give us when? This day. Give us when? This day. Right now, Lord. We need it now. We're hungry now. We need this answer now. We don't need it tomorrow. We need it now. Defer not. Give us this day. You know, think about Mary and Martha and the kind of faith that they had concerning their brother being resurrected or healed. John chapter 11, verses 21 through 24. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. All right, let's look at this first of all. Let's stop right there and look at this. Lord, if you had been here four days ago, you could have healed him then. I have faith for yesterday. This is what you could well have done if you had chosen to. I have no doubt in my mind what you could have done in the past. All right, let's read on. But I know that even now, whatsoever that will ask of God, God will give it thee. Yeah, now she says this. She says this. Pay attention. She says, I know, even now, whatever you ask, God will give it to you. But watch as she really expresses where her faith is. Read. Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Now, he said this after she just got through saying, whatever you ask, God's going to give it to you. And he said, okay, your brother's going to live again. Now, did she say, oh, that's wonderful. Let's go to the graveyard. No. Here's what she said. Read. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Yeah. So Martha had faith for yesterday. And she had faith for tomorrow. But she didn't have any faith for that moment. But what was Jesus' answer to her? What's the very next verse? Verse 25. Jesus said unto her. Jesus said unto her. I am the resurrection. Wait a minute. I. I am. I am. Not I was the resurrection and not I will be, which would have answered her problems. But Martha, what you've got to understand is I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I'm here to tell you, Martha, I'm not the God of the past, and I'm not the God of the future. I'm the God of this very minute. I'm here right now to do what you need. Saints of God, we've got to get some now faith. We've got to get to the place that we can ask God, do it now. Defer not. Why not? Don't Why not? put it off. Why not? Hallelujah. All right, if I get into this next little part, then it's going to be a while. So I'm going to have to postpone this. I didn't make it. I guess I'm not quite as short-winded as I thought. 
I still have quite a few pages here. I am at the bottom of page four out of ten. Not quite halfway, but close enough for today. We're about to start a whole new thought that, that uh, I don't want to get into right now. So let's just, let's, let's, Sister Regan, come. Let's close it out with this. And I've told this story many times, and my pastor used to tell this story all the time about a woman who had a large growth in her mouth. And she had been prayed for many, many times, and she went down for prayer one night, and uh, her, she had, a, uh, I think, a son, if I remember correctly, and he was, I don't know, seven, eight years old, somewhere in there, old enough to understand what was going on, and, and she went down for prayer, and... When, when she came back, he'd heard the preacher preaching on faith that night and heard that, that you know, God was, was there to heal. And so when she came back to the pew after being prayed for, he looked up at her and he said, Mama, did, did Jesus heal you? And she said, well, she didn't want to destroy his faith. So she didn't want to say no. So she said, well, not yet. He said, oh, okay. So they went home, got ready to go to bed, and, and he looked up at her. He said, well, Mama, did, did Jesus heal you? And she said, well, son, not yet. So the next morning, he got up with anticipation, went running to his mom. Mom, did Jesus heal you last night? She said, well, son, he hasn't healed me yet. And he just kept asking and kept asking until finally... At one point, and she was so exasperated with him, but he wouldn't stop. And finally, at some point, he got exasperated. And he said, Mom, has Jesus healed you yet? And she said, No, son, not yet. He said, Well, then when? When's he going to do it? And she said, Right now. And when she said the word now, God took that growth out of her mouth. I'm telling you, church, that's what God's looking for. Somebody that will say, right now, right now. I want it right now. Well, hallelujah. I'm trying to help somebody here today. I'm trying to get through to somebody today. I'm telling you, God wants us to reach out in faith and put our trust in Him to have some specificity in our prayer life to bring things to the Father and say, God, this is what we need. I need you to do this for this person at this time. You say, what if he doesn't? We'll deal with that next week or in our next lesson because next week, Brother Mays is going to be with us. Um, so I won't be teaching next week. And what I may do since I finished the other lesson last Tuesday, I may just pick up on prayer this coming Tuesday night. We want to get this done before the end of the year. So, so I may just pick up Tuesday night, move it to Tuesday night and, and pick up from there. But in our next lesson, whenever that happens to be, we'll talk about what if it doesn't happen when we're praying with now faith. Because there is that possibility. But I'm telling you this, I think we ought to pray that way. 
I think God wants us to pray that way. I think God loves it when we pray that way. God does have a timing. God does have... But look, I've talked about before, the Syrophoenician got her answer before God's timing. It wasn't time for the Gentiles to get anything, but she sure got it. And I'm here to tell you, child of God, you get hungry enough, you get desperate enough to touch the heart of God with your faith, you'll get your answer. But we're satisfied, Brother Larson, to just live without the answer. We're, we're, we're quite content if God doesn't do it. Okay, God, there's always tomorrow. There's always the next day. And that's fine if you want to live that way. But I hope something is stirred in somebody's heart that says, I'm tired of living that way. Things are going to be different. I want you to do it, Lord. I want you to do it now. You want to see God pour his spirit out on this church? When do you want to see it happen? Next year? Next decade? When do you want to see it happen? You got loved ones you want to see God filled with the Holy Ghost? When do you want them filled with the Holy Ghost? Is it okay if it waits for 20 years before it happens? Oh, I wish somebody would get stirred up today. I wish somebody would reach out in faith today. This is it, God. Today is my day. Give us this day our daily bread. Mountain be thou moved and be cast into the sea. Lazarus come forth. Sun stand still and moon don't you move. Sundial go backwards. I'm telling you, God comes to attention when people start praying like that. All of heaven prepares themselves because they know nothing moves the heart of God like people with faith. Let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord right now.